Yeah, welcome to everyone. Uh, welcome to the, at last count, 22 viewers uh, on our live stream. Some as far away as Kyrgyzstan, so we truly are an international church uh, this morning. So that is great. In case you don't know who I am, I'm Martin, I'm the minister here. And uh, I'm just going to just talk about... Um, our front lines, we're doing frontline series as Lee has talked about and, and oriented our service around uh, this morning. But I have to admit, I have unashamedly twisted the uh, uh, sermons um, for this morning so we can dwell on a little bit about our response to the coronavirus. Because I don't know how it is for you, but it is really weird at the moment. It's like a really boring zombie movie where... Um, but instead of the undead wandering around, uh, it seems to be people hoarding toilet rolls. It's just, it's just really weird. And, you know, I wake up in the morning and then suddenly I remember that things are not quite what they usually are. And I remember I was at a, um, a conference in London on Wednesday and someone sneezed. It's like, oh my goodness me. Or someone coughs. Like, oh my goodness. And they're constantly washing hands. Like my, my hands are red on my knuckles. Just from the, I do wash my hands normally, by the way, but I'm doing it so much more. It's just a really weird kind of world we're in at the moment. And it's really this sense of what do we do about it? Because the virus, in some ways, isn't that bad. But actually, it's more about the reaction, which is far worse. I read this quote uh, last night. I'm just going to um, read to you, if I can find it. Here we go. The coronavirus leaves over 99% of its victims still breathing. But at least virtually every member of society afraid, anxious, alone, and wondering if anyone would even notice if they're gone. So we're going to be talking about our front line this morning, but really I want to, towards the latter part of this sermon, is think what is our response to this? as a follower of Jesus Christ? How should we be reacting? How should we be feeling? What should we be doing or not doing? So that we will hopefully come to the end and answer those questions. But just quickly, briefly, I just want to do some foundational stuff around our front lines. Um, we've been doing about front lines. In the first week, we talked about the fact that we are scattered and we are gathered. This uh, diagram on the left represents us gathered in our church community, representing about six, five or six percent of the uh, population in the United Kingdom. And yet when we go out and spend the vast majority of our time, we are scattered in different places. Our front lines, as they call it, those places where God has placed us, where there are people that we come into contact with who need to know the love of God. And actually we can have a huge effect on so many people, so much more so when we are scattered than when we are gathered. And there is a map at the back, and I'm encouraging you, if you haven't done so already, to get a red pin and to mark on the map where your front line is. You might have one front line, you may have 15 front lines. We've got 600 pegs, so don't pin, so don't worry about it, we've got plenty. Uh, but you might want to, if you haven't done so already at the end, just mark on that map so we can see visually the effect that we're having on uh, our town and beyond. But this morning we're going to be looking at this. Whatever we do, whatever uh, we do. And we're looking at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 
15 to 24. And I'm going to turn to it now. You might want to turn to it on your Bible, look at your Bible app. I'm reading from verse 15. This is um, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And he's um, giving us some really useful advice. I'm just going to read from verse 15. Thank you, Penny, for reading it to us uh, earlier. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. So here Paul's given us some guidelines for when we are gathered together. That actually gathering together as a group of Christians, as a church, is really important. And Paul says here, right, okay, so when you gather you should be teaching one another about Jesus and about life and about God. You should be guiding one another. You should be sharing your wisdom. You should be helping one another to, to, to follow that narrow path that we're called to walk upon. Also, we're told to sing. It's biblical to sing worship songs. However weird it may seem sometimes, actually it's biblical to do so. And we do it all with a sense of peace and a sense of thankfulness. See, this place that we are in now, this building, but more so, more than this building, this gathering here, when we gather together as followers, followers of Jesus Christ, this should be a place of peace. Because the world out there, as you have probably noticed, is not a world of peace. So in one way, if we gather here, this is a place of sanctuary, but not escapism. This is not a place, sometimes we say we leave our worries at the door as we come in here. This is not a place where we leave our worries at the door. This is a place where we bring our worries. We bring our concerns about life. We bring our problems and our issues. And we share them. And we ask for guidance. We pray for one another. We help each other. And yet this should be ultimately a place where we can receive peace and we can be thankful God's. And often I have people come to me who maybe don't attend church regularly. They come here and say, I just have a real sense of peace. And even if they haven't got a faith, they come because they have a sense of peace. They feel good about themselves when they go out of this place. I don't know if you can find that. See, when I say peace, I do not mean that we have to do everything quietly. It's not about volume. We're not saying, okay, this is the place of peace. Let's get rid of the drums. Let's turn the volume down on the keyboard. Definitely get rid of the guitar. You know, I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, pan pipes were really popular. You know, you used to have pan pipes everything. Pan pipe movie themes. Pan pipes hit from the 60s. Pan pipes worship songs. We used to come home from church as a family uh, on a Sunday and stick on the pan pipe. CD. We are not going to replace all our worship songs with pan pipes because it's more peaceful. Although, Mark, was, that's a thumbs up to pan pipes. Oh, fans, hands up, thumbs up for not replacing our worship songs with pan pipes. That's not what I mean by peace. What I mean is that it's a, it's a freedom from disturbance. Actually, we can come here with disturbed minds, disturbed lights. And actually, when you come here, you have an escape, a freedom from that disturbance. 
you feel like you've got some peace in your life and you're ready to go back out into that chaotic world. So being gathered matters. Being gathered matters. But Paul does not stop there. He carries on in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. See, what Paul says is that actually, yes, being gathered together matters, but also being scattered, being out there matters as well. And he goes on to point out some rules, some suggestions for your family life and also your work life as well. And there's a few bits in there which kind of don't fit with us culturally, maybe some words that we struggle with about um, submission, also slaves. We don't have slaves around so much uh, anymore. But really what Paul is trying to say is in our family life, for example, we should have mutual love, support, care and respect. Now for some of you, you may be in a Christian family. All of you are followers of Jesus Christ. For other of you, you may be the only person in your family who is a Christian. But are you showing love? Are you showing support? Are you showing care Are you showing respect? Because Paul's saying that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what you do out there matters. And what you do in your family matters as well. And the same thing with work. Are you being sincere? And are you being honest? Is what you are doing not just for personal gain and favour? Because Paul goes on to say that everything you do, do it as if you are serving the Lord. Because ultimately that is what you are doing. Is God you are serving, not earthly masters. See, whatever you do, whatever you do, that, does that leave anything out? No. Whatever you do, everything you do, you do it two things. You do it in the name of Jesus and you do it for Jesus. Whatever you do, you do it in the name of Jesus and you do it for Jesus. Jesus. So what does it mean to do it in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, this means that you are acting as Jesus' ambassadors, Jesus' representatives on your front line, be it family or work, table tennis club, sewing circle, and so on. Whatever you do, you are doing it as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus. So when you are parroting a child, you can do it in the name of Jesus. When you price up a job, you can do it in the name of Jesus. When you run a business meeting, do it in the name of Jesus. When you coach a team, do it in the name of Jesus. When you bathe a patient, do it in the name of Jesus. Be Jesus for that person and in that situation. Used to have those bracelets, not quite so popular now. It used to be WWJD. The only one used to wear those. What would Jesus do? And that reminder in every situation, you know, oh, look at your wrist. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? How would he act? What would he say? And you're doing it for Jesus. It's a dog eat dog world. Everyone's striving for something. 
some rewards, willing to step on others in order to get it. And Paul's saying, you're not supposed to be like that. Actually, you do things not for recognition of others, not for fame, not for fortune, but because you're doing it for Jesus. And ultimately, he's the one who's going to reward you. So when you're out there, be Jesus. Speak Jesus. Love like Jesus. Do it for Jesus. That's the foundational stuff. That's our frontline stuff. But I just wanted to just, as we come to an end, just really think about, okay, so what does that mean now? What does it mean now? Because we're in a really weird situation. We're in a difficult situation. Karen, you were saying that you no longer go to work because you're not allowed to go to work. You have to work from home. So we're just in a really weird situation. Our front lines are all a little bit messed up at the moment. I just want to think about what should our Christian response be? What should be our application be when it comes to coronavirus and the situation we find ourselves in? How do we be Jesus where we find ourselves. And I'm just going to come up with one, two, three, four things. You do not need to remember these four things. I will not be testing you next week. But you might be just one of those things or two of those things that jump out to you and go, yes, I need that at the moment. And the first one is this. We should have peace and not fear. Peace and not fear. See, it's really easy to fear. It's really normal to be fearful. I'm very anxious about everything at the moment. So I've got this sense of anxiety, this kind of sick feeling in my stomach, just because everything is so messed up and I'm unsure of what we're supposed to be doing. And, and anxiety seems to be a big issue at the moment. And so maybe you are an anxious person. And when you stick this into the mix as well, suddenly things become even more anxious. It's normal for us to fear and yet, in Gal- when, church, when Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, he said, you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And we sing that song, you are no longer a slave to fear. I can see Chris singing it at the back there. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. I am a child of God. We no, need no longer be scared and worried. And I'm just going to read some verses. And maybe some of these might just speak to you. John 14 verse 27, this is, you know, Jesus saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Then from Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. See, do we believe in the power of prayer? Yes. Good answer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. And then Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I need to hear those words. I need to hear those promises from 
God. But the reality is we cannot force ourselves to be peaceful. We might take some tablets. We might take some counselling. But actually, the Bible tells us that a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a, a consequence of God's Spirit living within you, amongst other things, that you will have peace. Lord God, I just pray that each of us will be filled with your Holy Spirit. That in so much anxiety and so much stress, so much fear, we might feel your peace. Despite our circumstances, despite the unknowns, that you will just fill us with your Holy Spirit. So that we might receive your peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So peace, not fear. Hope, not negativity, or hope, not pessimism. You see, I... Ooh, Siri just turned on. Um, I get very, you know, hopeful sometimes. I listen to the news and think, okay, it's not quite as bad. You know, it's not going to be two weeks. It's going to be four weeks till help hit our peaks. Like, great. Then I make the mistake of listening to Radio 4. Or looking at the newspaper, and suddenly it's all doom and gloom. Or I'm talking to someone at the school gate, and they're saying, well... You think it's bad now. You wait till the winter. I'm like, oh my goodness me, this is getting worse and worse. And this is fueled by half-truths and what-ifs. Well, what if it gets worse? Or have you heard that? And these sort of things fuel our negativity and fuel our pessimism. And yet we are told as followers of Jesus Christ to have hope. But what does that mean? Because we are not promised a trouble-free life. We are not told that if you follow Jesus Christ, everything will be hunky-dory. We are not adherents to the prosperity gospel that says if you just pray enough and you have faith enough, then everything will be absolutely okay. Because most of us will know from our lives and our past experiences that that is not the case. We are not promised as followers of Jesus to have a trouble-free life life. So what does that hope mean? Well, firstly, our security and our hope comes from being known and loved by God. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. That's why we have peace. That's why we have hope. Because we have a God that knows us and loves us and cares for us and is walking through this life with us. God is not distant. He's not, as some, some people say, a watchmaker. He's sitting, you know, wound the, the world up, let it go, and goes, right, okay, see you in a few million years. We believe a God that is intimately involved in our day-to-day lives. But actually, our hope is often not based on that. Our hope is based on our security of finances, our security of our jobs, the security of everything working as it should do in our worlds. And at the moment, things are not working as they should do in our world. So our hope and our security is being broken away from us. And the reality is that, yes, we believe in a hope, you know, in the future when Christ comes again, that our hope is in Jesus giving us eternal life. Yet for most of us, so actually, I quite like my life as it is now. Thank you very much. And this disruption is really shaking my hope. For many Christians, a majority of Christians, for whom life is pretty bad all the time, their hope really is in an eternal hope because of Jesus. 
And maybe at this time we need to relearn or maybe learn for the first time what it means to have an eternal hope in Jesus rather than a hope in the here and now based on the things that we have and the nice country we live in and the security of law and order and food on the shelves. So hope, not negativity. Third one, selflessness, not selfishness. This is a familiar sight maybe to many of you. Empty shelves. Jen went shopping in Tesco's on Friday, empty. Just advice to you, Waitrose isn't as bad. Okay, I was there yesterday. It's all gone this morning. Oh dear. That was me because I went there yesterday. I'm there in my trolley, hoarding everything. See, we live when everything is going fine, when everything's working as it should do, we almost have this veneer of good behaviour, as John, J. John talks, uh, uh, calls it. This veneer of good behaviour. We can behave ourselves, we can act sensibly, as long as we're not threatened. And yet when things start to go wrong, suddenly that veneer is taken away. So it says these words in John chapter 4, verse 18, love drives out all fear. But the problem is, the opposite is also true. Fear drives out love. When we are fearful of the future, when we are fearful of what is going to happen to us and the world we're in, then all love is driven out. And what we're seeing in our society at the moment is this selfishness Whereas me first, stuff the rest of you, I need toilet rolls. And I don't, use a flannel. Fear dries out love. Right, okay. (laughs) They could have waited to the end of a sermon to say that, Chris. Oh dear. (laughs) Fear dries out love. That veneer of good behaviour disappears. And actually as followers of Jesus Christ we are called to act in the opposite spirit. We are called to be selfless, not selfish. We are called to love, not to fear. Once again, peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit as well. We need to just pray for more of God's Spirit in us so we don't fear, but we just want to love. That we get to the point, you know what? We're actually willing to share a toilet roll with our next door neighbour, to share our foods, rather than sit in your house not able to move because you've just wiped out Tesco's. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called not to hoard, but to love. And then lastly, and this is a really interesting one, is that we should see this as an opportunity, not a threat. An opportunity, not a threat. It says these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So if we're full of the Holy Spirit, if we're walking with Jesus, then we get this sense of peace. We get a sense of hope. 
we get this selflessness. And you know what? That is going to be so different to everyone else who is struggling and fearful and pessimistic and hopeless. Is it coincidence? I don't know that we're going, at the moment we're doing the Try Praying um, campaign. When we've got little booklets, when we give out to people and say, have you tried praying? Read this booklet. There are plenty around if you want to grab one. Who's given the one away? Excellent. Great. We've got plenty more to give away then. Because if you haven't got, been given one, get one. Read it. Give it away. But this is a real opportune time just to say to people, Look, have you tried praying? Because nothing else is working. But I think it's interesting that historically Christianity, the growth of Christianity has exploded at times like these. In the plagues of the 2nd and 3rd century, Christianity grew massively. People noticed something about the Christians. They didn't flee away from plague-ridden towns, but actually stayed there and cared for the sick. They were selfless, even willing to die in order to look after people. Now, I'm not saying you start going around to everyone's houses caring for people because what you'll end up doing is spreading coronavirus everywhere. But actually, are you loving your neighbour? Are you truly being Jesus in the situation you're in? Are Are you showing selflessness? Are you showing hope? Are you giving out peace? Are you sharing food and toilet rolls? Are you living a life which is so contrary to what is going on around you? Because people will notice. And it might even have a positive effect on society for which morale is massively no. We're not called to shut ourselves up in our churches and to support one another. We're there to be scattered and to love your neighbour as yourself. To be Jesus in that situation. Fiona, you said this morning you had a word, didn't you? Encouraging us to rise up like a mighty army. And I'll ask you that question. Are we willing to rise up with peace and hope and love and selflessness and have a positive effect on those people that we come in contact with on our front line? Let's be quiet for a moment. Peace, not fear. Hope, not negativity, selflessness, not selfishness, opportunity, not threat. Which one of those do you need to take away with you this morning? Oh God, we thank you that we are loved by you. That you're with us, you journey with us, you carry us where necessary. I just pray that as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, you will transform our minds and change our actions. Lord God, we lift up to you the world that we live in at the moment. We just pray that you will, moved by your Holy Spirit, you will create a miracle that means things are not as bad as predicted that you will halt the virus, that, Lord God, you will prevent infection and spread, 
the Lord God, you will help our medical services to cope far better than they could possibly imagine. We just pray that you will put the right people in the right places at the right time. People of influence who can find cures, who can organise help. And Lord God, we just pray that you will do what only you can do as well. But most of all, we just pray that you will work through us that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. You will help us to be Jesus. You will help us to do everything in the name of Jesus. Help us to be your representatives on our front lines. And help us to bring hope and peace. I ask these all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.